In January of 1985, at the age of 18, Logatassian Theramaturi, I think I said that. Is that close enough? <laughs> it's close enough. It's close enough. Uh, we'll, 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 I'll work on that throughout the show. <laughs> Left his home in Sri Lanka in a desperate bid to build a new life for himself and his family abroad after a deeply traumatic encounter uh, with a group of soldiers. The story of his terrifying and often astonishing journey includes a refugee camp, being smuggled across international borders, living with drug dealers, being imprisoned, and more. The entire story is in his new book, The Sadness of Geography, which is available now in bookstores and online. You can find it at Amazon.ca, wherever you buy fine books. Yes, yes. yes. Well, congratulations on the book. Uh, uh, thank you. So let's set the stage. Let's set the stage so that people understand exactly, you know, the, the, the beginnings of this story. Uh, for three decades, Sri Lanka was mired in an ethnic conflict that led to massacres, mayhem, everything. And, yeah. and tell me the, the root of all of that, and then we'll move forward with the story. Um, in 19, up until 1948, uh, British ruled Sri Lanka. And then they, when they left, they gave all the control to Sinhalese, which is the majority, and Tamil is the minority. Mm -hmm. um, and you're the, a, a Tamil person. Yeah, I'm a Tamil in the, from the minority group. Um, so 70% in Sri Lanka is Sinhalese, 20, 70, 75% is Sinhalese, 20% Tamils. And the other 5% is um, uh, Muslims and, and Christians. Uh, when Sri Lanka, when British left Sri Lanka um, and gave the control to Sinhalese, they renamed the country uh, from Ceylon to Sri Lanka. So that was the first thing they did. Um, that kind of started to give a little friction uh, between Tamils and Sinhalese. Uh, then over the years, the, the tension started to rise. And then in 1956, I believe, um, they changed the name from uh, the, they made the, uh, the country language as a, as a Sinhalese as a national language. At the time, a lot of Tamils were working in the government positions. But at the time, they were speaking English. And all of a sudden, Sinhala became a, the official language. So these people know only Tamils and, and English. They are left out of a job. Right. They have no work. They are being marginalized. They're being pushed aside. That's right. So then um, the Tamils uh, got upset. They have, have, they don't have a job. They started to live in poverty. So they started to fight back. Um, the tension started to keep rising and rising. And then 1958, there's a big riot. This happened before even I was born. Mm -hmm. and, and then a lot of Tamils were killed during the riot. So to compromise at the time in 1958, the government said, okay, okay, Tamils, you guys can live in the north and east, and then you can keep your language as your official language. And then Tamils accepted that deal, and then they were living um, you know, mostly separately mm -hmm. in the north and east as being Tamil, in the central, south and west, mostly Sinhalese. Um, but then throughout the years, a lot of Tamils and Sinhalese, they started to, uh, you know, mix cross marriages yep. and stuff like that, and they lived together. But at the same time, 
um, still there's a lot of um, uh, separations because Tamil couldn't get a decent job, even though they are well educated. Um, so then a lot of um, uh, politicians from Tamil side, they formed a group called TULF, Tamil United Liberation Front. And then they started to have their own set of rules right. and elections. So then Singles didn't like that that part. So there is a... There's the, a deep history here, mm -hmm. a, a very deep history yeah. that, of, of tension that escalated into a full-on civil war. That's right. So then in... Um, uh, in 1972, there's an LTTE formed and became as the Tamil Tigers, and their cause is to, you know, fight the government to have a separate state, and that kind of sparked the light. And in 1981, you know, Singhalese came and burned the, our library, uh, which even you know built more tensions. And then in 1983, there's a huge riot. Over 150,000 people left homeless in, in the city of Colombo. 2,500 people died during that time. So then a lot of Tamils who live in the Singhalese Park area, they all moved back to Jaffna then, and, and, and the eastern side of Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of is, is, a, is a, you know, like a breaking point to start the real civil war. And you were living, though, in a village. Your father was prosperous. He was a, a business person. You were, for a long time, kind of untouched by what was happening in the rest of the country. Yeah, so we were kind of living in a, a cocoon um, because at the time, um, when I was growing up, I only know the caste system in mm. Sri Lanka. So within our community, there is a division. You know, and then my father um, always trying to maintain his status, so we had to follow what he thinks is the right thing to do. At the time, I was not aware about this uh, ethnic uh, conflict. Um, but uh, so then over the years, then when the 1983 riots started, that's the time that I realized, oh, wow, there is a different type of war than the than, than I'm aware of. And, and what was that feeling like? Because you had had, uh, you know, a, a life kind of untouched by this. And then this terrible event happens. Um, what, what went on in your head when you realized, did you think, oh, this is going to mean big trouble for me or, you know, things are okay where I am? What did you think? At the time, I, I know when in 1983, right, I, we heard bits and pieces, um, you know, when, when somebody said, oh, they are killing Tamils, you kind of wonder, you know, why are they killing Tamils? Yeah. Um, a lot of them, they kill each other, but they don't know, even know each other. Right. So I, at the time I was young, so that, that one just started to play in my head up until the day they raided our village, um, which is towards the almost end of 1983. Mm -hmm. um, there was a chopper's, flying all over, the military trucks chasing, you know, house to house. Um, then my father woke me up and asked me to run. I didn't know where to go, where to run, but I kept running. 
And, and I, so you're just running through the streets of the village, or did you run for shelter? What did you do? I, 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 I kept running it. I, I don't know what, what I was looking for, right. like where I was going. But I just scared. wanted to, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to get away because I thought that if I stick around that area, I will be arrested. So I kept running blindlessly. Then I ended up in the field. That's the time that I really started to realize that you know this is the. F- well, that's the time I, I bet you that you realize that your life has changed forever. That's right. And and you're how old at this point? At the time, I was on some 17. This is a lot for a 17-year-old to try and process. You know, the idea that simply because of who you are, where you were born, the person mm-hmm. that you are, these people are going to come at you with soldiers and choppers and, you yes. know, and, 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 and kick you out of your home. That's right. Yeah, that was the kind of turning point and fear. The, on the day when I was... Um, when I was coming home, the village is totally turned upside down. I used to see people going to the temples and yeah. um, um, and then having fun on the street. Yeah, normal village life. Yeah. yeah. So then, on that day, it wasn't normal anymore. What I hear is that people are screaming and yelling and wailing on the street. You know, poor mothers, they were sitting on the on the ground, you know, hitting their head with their hand yeah. and screaming about the loss of their children. So that's the time that I decided that, okay, this is like a movie now that I'm living in. This is the, some, I have to make a change. I have to do something in my life. I may have to leave. I thought about it, but I didn't know where to go to. Well, at 17, it's unimaginable. Had you ever been anywhere much? Had you traveled at all? Had you seen yeah. the rest of the world? No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, we, we were kind of living in a cocoon. And so um, all we knew at the time, I thought that's uh, Sri Lanka is the place existed in Earth. Right. I may study in history and geography, but you don't really, you think that it's like a, some place it's yeah. like a, you hear about paradise, right? right? So people think that it's the end of the place, but you never thought that you know there or are actually people living or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you never see it as you know there's a place there that you can live and and. Uh, but uh, you you talk about paradise, but your village had turned into a living hell. Uh, uh, this mm-hmm. and and when that happened, you know choppers are coming. I can't imagine how terrifying that is. Yeah, it was like, um, I, I didn't know what they were looking for. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, when the trucks parked on the street and they were kind of jumping off the trucks, going through the house to house to house, they were, I sense that they are looking for, they are kind of looking for rebels. Yeah. But for them, hard to tell who is rebel and who is normal. So they would catch arrest any any boys on my age uh, I, i'm sure all the rebels to them or all the all the Camels. village kids looked the same i can't imagine what it would have been like in real life yeah yeah it was uh, uh at the time i was i was naive i didn't really have a this kind of experiences mm-hmm. in my life so it was a first moment that then i started to realize you know the here is our 
here is a turning point, and our country is at war. Yeah, and 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 there's no going back. I mean, this is this is it. So you're on a train at some point, and you are in direct conflict with the army. Describe that to me. Yes. So um, at the time, I was um, going to boarding school. Um, so so like a, um, twice a, um, a term, we are allowed to go home. So. Mm-hmm. At one time, I was so excited to go home, um, just see my mother, brother, and sisters, and you know, having time to enjoy home cooked meal, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and not have to do homework <laughs> or wherever else. Yeah. That's right. So then, I you know I left the school. I went to a train station and uh, waiting for the train to arrive. Uh, at the time, uh, this is happened after the the raid in our village. So at the time, the tension. The tension was uh, pretty high, and then a lot of military um, personnel were posted pretty much everywhere. Um, so the the moment I got into the train, the train car was pretty empty. Um, but then when I turned around, the soldiers. Um, but I didn't want to kind of you know. Leave the train because then they're going to suspect maybe yeah, I could be a rebel. Any, any reason for them to to want to uh, search you? That's yeah. right. Um, so I pretend like another civilian and I went and sat on the on a seat, kind of looking outside. Um, I'm so familiar with the scenery and mm-hmm. the train track, um, uh, but then you know, unfortunately, um, uh, one of the soldier you know reached out to reached out to me and started to talk in Singular, which I don't speak Singular. I didn't know what he say, uh, but the gesture, I felt like a he's, he was teasing as being a Tamil boy. Right, right. Uh, but I still, I ignored, but then he, you know, came close to me and put, in, put his hand on me. Um, at the time, I was, you know, right, around 18 years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I didn't know what to do. I don't want to fight back um, because they they are much bigger and and they well, have weapons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I kept pushing him away, but he uh, he was forcefully uh, molested me. Um, that experience was something you know put a scar in my in my life. Well, because. Probably, and I'm speaking with Logatassin uh, Theramaturi. His book is called The Sadness of Geography. I would imagine that at that moment, you just have this feeling of powerlessness. Yes. And there's nothing you can do to stop this, and and this is maybe what your life is going to be like. Yes, yeah. That was a, uh, it was really hard to absorb. Uh, while... Um, one soldier molested the other soldiers are standing and watching, and I thought that the world is a, you know, is a better place. And if I, if somebody is in trouble, the other one will help. But yeah, yeah. it didn't happen that day. Particularly people in in positions of authority. The police should, you know, these weren't the police. But <laughs> but if so you're wearing a uniform, you have a weapon. Hopefully, that means that you're there for the betterment. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but. But the perception was changed, mm-hmm. you know. After that, um, I started to build hatred against the soldiers. Well, and this is what happens, right? 
It's probably little by little. I mean, by the mm. time the military helicopters are flying over your mm. your village, it's 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 different. But it is. It's it's the idea that they take away the power, they strip away your your uh, ability to do things. You are marginalized in your mm. own country, and this is where hatred comes from. Yes. Yeah. So he started digging out grew inside, uh, you know, slowly, slowly, and it's a shameful event. So that I didn't want to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, I uh, I worried about uh, about my ability to defend. Right. Yeah. If something happens again, and 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 so uh, that happens. And then, when do you actually make the decision that you have to go? I mean, the the trip ahead mm-hmm. is going to be fraught, to say the very least. Um, but you make a decision that whatever lies ahead, refugee camps, dealings with drug dealers, all mm. that kind of stuff is going to be better than what I'm leaving behind. Uh, that's momentous. Yeah. So the, the time that I decided to leave is um, during the wartime in 1984, my father's business started to a fall because, you know, he lost his position, he lost his power, and then he started to descend into alcoholism because he didn't know anything else to do. Well, he saw his country Uh, falling away. He saw everything he'd worked for disappear. Uh, And then um, we were from top to the bottom. Uh, Immediately, I see the shift in life that, you know, people who worshipped you, now all of a sudden they turned the back on you, and uh, we became poor. We we didn't have any money. To, we even if you had money, you couldn't buy food. So that kind of struggle. But at the time we didn't even have money to buy food. So then I was looking for my brother. He wasn't there. I didn't know where did he go. I don't know whether he was captured or he left the country. Uh, but then my I became responsible to support the family. When did you say, okay, now we have to go? Uh, So then I joined the LTTE. I thought maybe uh, they might be able to help us. And that's the Tamil Tigers. Tamil Tigers. Um, uh, At the time, um, even if our village raided again, maybe the LTTE was the safest place for the boys like me because they know where to hide. They had weapons. and and they can provide me a place to, uh, right? In a place to stay, so I joined the LTT. But then, in the LTT, I was mainly doing the propaganda marketing right. side of it. Kind of, and I felt boring. But <laughs> while I was uh, in that area, I was able to uh, bring food home right. and you know helping my family. But I couldn't. I was there with the LTT for about six months, but I couldn't do anything better other than just doing the same thing over and over right. again. And then I was worried about my my sisters and my brothers. I thought I need to do something to my family. Maybe this is maybe, you know, I thought this is not the place for me to live here and do the same, you know. So that's a kind of turning for me to decide to leave. And then when I talked to my friend, he suggested that, his uncle would help me to go to Germany. Now, there's always someone who says, oh, yeah, 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 we can help you. How do you know who to trust in a situation like that? 
they the the friend that who um suggested that he's uncle he was my classmate back home um we studied together in the class so i know him pretty much very well um so uh i trusted he said it could have gone the other way because i'm sure yeah. that there were people at the time they were who, were who were saying oh yeah i'll help you uh give me uh, all your money and then i'll get you out of the country and then they would disappear with all your money yeah but at the time i'm giving to my friend that i right. know and i trusted and also he still strongly believe at the time that his uncle has been helping tamils right so uh he may had heard bits and pieces some people he did help but people like me he really you know cheated me but um yeah at the he cheated time, you yes he yes. did yes in 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 what way um so i gave the money to um jr which is my friend and my passport so he sent it to his uncle and i was told to meet him in the city um city of colombo so i had a hard time leaving my village and when i reached out to colombo and i called the uncle to get the passport and the flight ticket uh but the phone was not in service um that's the time that it clicked me and that oh i have been cheated that's a heart stopping moment it must be yes right yeah so now i don't have any money i didn't have my passport and i was living in a conflicted area whether tamils are the were the target yeah, yeah and and a place you weren't familiar with that's right a yeah. new a new city that you weren't familiar with mm-hmm. so what's uh what's the next step what do you do after that uh so then i met someone in the train um um her name is devi and she was able to, so i i met her briefly in the train but then when i left stranded in in the city i was sleeping in a beach um shooting in the dark i don't know yeah. what to do next but i was lucky enough that i bumped into her in a little plaza and she was able to um you know track him down and able to get the passport and get my money and that was lucky yes yeah, yeah. that was <laughs> yeah that was a yeah it's an unbelievable feeling when you know when when i never expected that i'm going to be in that situation yeah out of all the bad that's happening around you that there's someone who actually did you a kindness that's right. is is probably very encouraging so where do then you know the the refugee camps and all that sort of thing uh come in and and i'm speaking with uh logatasen uh theramaturi the book is called the sadness of geography my life is a tamil exile where do the refugee camps come in and and describe to me uh what that was like for you so when i left um germany i was thinking you know i'm going to be welcome at the airport i'm going to be a uh they're going to place me in a hotel yeah. or something and and i'm going to be like living the living the life yeah. but unfortunately when i landed in uh berlin i was kind of following the crowd then all of a sudden um, while i was in a train all of a sudden um two police came and then and they took me with them and and my passport and then put me in a cell then i realized this is not the place that i yeah this expected. is not a hotel room yeah. yes uh then the the difficult part is i i didn't know german so all i kept saying is that 
Germany, Germany. I because I wasn't sure I was in Germany or I was in jail. Right. Like I don't know where the jail is. Uh, but then they had a hard time speaking back to me. So I started to slowly. I started to follow their gesture and did what they asked me to do. Yeah. Then eventually they placed me in the, you know, like a holding cell in West Berlin until they issue me the refugee papers. Right. Uh, once there, about I stayed there in Berlin for about uh, three and a half, four weeks, and then they sent me to Nuremberg. Uh, in Nuremberg, that was like a decent um, place right. for refugees. We have our own room, we have our own kitchen to cook. Um, that's the, the camp, their area that we were able to. And that must have been a relief for you. Yes, yeah. In Ber- I didn't enjoy my stay in uh, East <laughs> West Berlin. I'm sure you didn't really enjoy much of this, uh, <laughs> much of this trip. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the, the Nuremberg was kind of like I give a little bit of peace that I have a place to sleep. They yeah. give me food to eat, yeah. but then I wasn't doing anything else in my life. Right. Um, um, but you know, in terms of the safety and security-wise, you know, um, and how do you deal with the uncertainty of this? You must have just been thinking all the time. I don't know what comes next. Are they going to send me back? Will I move forward? Yeah, because of the. Um, um, lack of my experience, um, I don't know what's going to happen next to me. I just live for the day and, you know, ready to take on anything else. At the time, I had a little sense of relief that I'm not going to be chased by those choppers again yeah. or, you know, um, being arrested and put in the military camps. Uh, this camp was a little bit different. Yeah. You know, people can openly... Um, be who they are yeah, and, and just and, and live. They yeah. can live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the uncertainty is probably always there. Do you were you having nightmares at this point? Because I know that this is something that has played on your mind since yeah, the minute the, it happened. Yeah, the nightmare will come on and off. But at the time, I was more worried about my family. Right. Uh, what's happening to my mother? Um, I don't know what's happening to my father because he was really depressed. And my, I have a younger brother who was at the time, he was 16. And my sisters, they were pretty young. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so that that kind of bothered me the most at the time. Also, yeah, I did have nightmares being chased by choppers. Um, but I, I'm sure all the other um, people who stayed in the village, uh, in the refugee camp, you know, went through the similar trauma. You're in Germany, you're in a refugee camp. Um, what's the next step? Where do you go from there? Um, when I was in uh, Germany, uh, I wasn't accomplishing anything and I, I constantly worried about my family and their safety. Uh, then I, my mother wrote me a letter that my brother is in France. So then I thought, hey, maybe I can go to him and then we could we could uh, bring the family together. Right. Uh, that went on in my mind, and um, I reached out to him. So then he um, he told me that somebody will come and pick me up. I didn't know what the, all the insights right. or how or what will happen to me. So then it happened to me. I was being arranged to smuggle from Germany to France. Um, 
So every every step I cannot start at today. Okay, maybe this is this was the worst, and then I yeah. I fell into the another hardship. Um, but I lucky enough that I was safely uh, went to uh, France and and live with my brother. But when I was living with my brother, um, he was totally different than what I expected. Uh, he was living with the drug dealers, uh, but he was he has his own job, which he goes to Monday to Friday. Right. But during the day, I have I stuck with those people. Yeah, with the drug dealers. Yeah. 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 So I pack drugs. I go, you know, go with them to along with them to ship drugs or picking up drugs from train stations, stuff like that. And at one point, you know, I even snorted drugs, and I realized that, you know, what the hell I'm doing yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. This is not what I should be doing exactly. to build a life for myself. Yeah. Um, I kind of then I decided, and also my brother and my cousin Suti uh, suggested that um, I should leave because they started to, probably they noticed that I'm getting more involved. Yeah. Uh, so they told me that I better leave and go somewhere. Um, that's the time that I ent- I entertained the idea that you know coming to Canada was the uh, you know was the you know, was the next step. So you come to Canada, and you know this is the the part of the story that I think is is I mean the the, the whole story is fascinating, but this is the part of the story I think where it starts to become timely. Right now, there is a great deal of talk about immigration, a great deal of talk about refugees coming to the country, and your story. Uh, from the from the beginning of the the story from Sri Lanka onward, but I will focus on the Canadian part of it now. Is a success story. You came here. You went to school. You had a job for twenty four years. You're writing books. You're a successful person. I think that's the part that makes this story so timely for right now. People uh, seem, for some reason, many people seem to be afraid of refugees coming into the country, uh, and and you're a success story. Yeah, so for uh, for us to leave our country uh, was the last choice we make. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can see, if there was a no no war, I would have never left yeah. my country. Um, it's still my homeland, and it's still you know there's a heart in there. Uh, but Did you go back ever? Have you gone back? Um, no, um, I thought of going back, uh, but during my writing journey, I uh, I couldn't. Yeah. Go back, and now my book is published. I'm afraid to go back. Yeah, um, uh, but uh, Canada is the is the country that gave me plenty of opportunities. You know, I could live where I want. I could do whatever the uh, career I chose to. Um, I could raise a family peacefully. Uh, yeah, so this is the country that you know gave me the that gave you the opportunity, and you gave back to the country. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, I find to, I know, I mean, all my life I try to do the right thing by living here. I have two sons. Um, I teach them um, what I went through and how they should appreciate the country where they were born, yeah. which is here, and then, you know, live, live for the moment. I'm speaking with Lagatasin Theramaturi. The book is called The Sadness of Geography, My Life as a Tamil Exile. Uh, it is an up-and-down story uh, with so many moments of, of peril and uncertainty that it, it, it reads like a novel, uh, although it's all true. 
why write it down? So you worked in technology for, for a quarter of a century. Yeah. And when that job stopped for you, mm -hmm. uh, you wrote four or five pages of something and thought, well, you know, this is something, but it, did it, it, did it help you, uh, come to terms with what had happened or was it more of a desire just to tell the story? Um, I, I suffered privately, um, all the traumatic events for a very long time since I left. Mm -hmm. So it's been in my head, um, for the last 34 years, um, uh, but some of the stuff that I didn't want to even share because at the time I felt shameful. Mm -hmm. uh, often I will wake up at the night dreaming about uh, these events and some of them I relieved in my dream. Uh, but uh, slowly, slowly I will tell bits and pieces of story to my family and friends um, over the years. And then 20 years ago, I also did my first draft uh, so that, you know, my children will know just in case if I die, right. uh, my dad went through this. Here's the diary of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then my nightmare didn't go away. I constantly will wake up in the middle of the night uh, screaming and my wife will comfort me. Yeah. Um, but then two years ago, I um, when I lost my job, I thought that maybe this is a time I'm going to take a year off and focus on my book. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, you know, write it down. Um, so as I started to write down the book, I felt free. Yeah. I felt, you know, I became open-minded. Then I can started to talk about, you know, what happened to anyone. Uh, it kind of formed some sort of like a therapeutic experience. Well, I think it's always better out than in. Yeah, at the time I didn't know when I was yeah. writing it. I'm going to write it down so it's going to be out of my system yeah, then yeah. I can move on. <laughs> but it happened naturally. The more I wrote, more I felt better. Uh, the, the difficult part for me to go back and relive those experience so that I can get the yeah. detail. But the more I went deeper and gain all the details, then something left in me, which I didn't know at the time. And now I really, uh, you know, I'm glad that I was able to do that now. Um, and thankful for Dundon to acquire my story and, and you know, bring it to the world. And what do your kids think about this book? Uh, some of the events they didn't know uh, up until when I finished my first manuscript. Um, then I gave it to gave it to them to read and help me to um, help with the edits. Mm -hmm. uh, then my my older son, he came and told me that, oh dad, now I realize why you were hard on us. Um, meaning that I told them make sure that you know you better study hard, get yeah. a better education, you build up your life. Um, and then he told me that. Um, I feel so sad that I lost my bike that you bought it for me. Right. Uh, because when I was growing up, my older brother is the one who only had a bike, not me. Right. Uh, I always had to borrow the bike from my brother. But for him, I gave it to him as a gift. And when he lost it, I felt like, you know, you lost the opportunity that you had. Yeah. Uh, and also they feel so sorry for me that I kept it inside all this uh, yeah. stuff that I never shared. They told me that I should have 
talk to them, but at the time they were young. And, uh, and and maybe not able to comprehend exactly. the scope of the story. Yeah, and then I didn't want at the time I didn't want to let them to know that like when they're twelve, fifteen years old, and they oh my dad took drugs, I can take yeah. the, you know it's cocaine right. stuff yeah. like that. Uh, but when they started to read it, they were mature, they were adults, so they were able to understand what I went through, and they appreciated that I was able to uh, you know put it down in. In and, and and today with the book, which is called The Sadness of Geography, My Life as a Tamil Exile, have you reconciled the past? Are you are you sitting to here today talking to me as a happy person? Uh, yes. I like I said earlier, um, you know, it was some sort of therapeutic um experience. Like for a me. catharsis to get it out there. Yes. Yeah. And I was able to talk about it. And then, you know, we are all people at the end. Uh, we all have a common goal, which is, you know, live peacefully and love each other. Um, I never had any uh, issues with Sinhalese or other ethnic group. As a person, you know, I, I see everybody the same. Um, I even married to a woman. It's not even my culture. Um, um, so, yeah, so the uh, stuff that, you know, I learned to forgive um, my father, um, because you know, uh, he he thought that was the right thing for him to do at the time, um, but you know he maybe abused his position at one point. Uh, but at the end, we all human. You know, I used to love Anthony Bourdain, and Anthony Bourdain would travel around the world and and go to places. He like the Congo one week, and then the next week he'd be in Belgium, and the next week he'd be wherever else it was, somewhere, some pinpoint on the map. And the thing that I loved about about the shows that he did was that uh, instead of just being a travelogue, here's a beautiful piece of scenery, here's uh, what they eat here, what his message was is that we're all essentially the same. We all want the same stuff, a future for our children, food on the table for our families, and a, and a place to sleep. That's all we want. And that was the message of empathy and, and uh, beauty of those television shows. And that's, I think, what we get from your story. Oh, great. Thank you. My guest in studio today has been Logatasan uh, Teratamuri. No, that's not right. Tarmatrai. My guest in studio today has been Logatasan Teramaturi. The book is called The Sadness of Geography, My Life as a Tamil Exile. It is available wherever you buy fine books. Also find it at Amazon.ca, all those places online or in brick-and-mortar stores. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for being here and telling your story. Oh, thank you, Richard, for having me and uh, appreciate your time. And my thanks to Robert on the board. We'll talk to you again next week.